you are about to listen to an episode of 5678 on the theme Bodyliciousness with Rasmus Ölme. This episode was recorded live in Copenhagen and unfortunately we had some technical difficulties and we ended up with only the backup recording. So the sound is not perfect but I hope you can survive this and enjoy this episode with Rasmus Ölme. All right, here we go. Hello. <laughs> uh, you are listening to 5678 and we are here with the live audience at Hoopset in Copenhagen. Thank you for coming here. So nice to see all of you. And uh, this conversation is a part of Dansahallarnas peer-to-peer program. My name is Rebecca Bergstol and I have invited Rasmus Ölme. Hey Rasmus. Should uh, we introduce ourselves for the people that don't know us? Do you want to start? Okay. So uh, I'm uh, Rasmus Örme and uh, I am Swedish and I work here in Copenhagen at the Danish National School of Performing Arts uh, as the head of a program of uh, Bachelor in Dance and Choreography and the MA program in Choreography. Is that enough? That's perfect. And my name is Rebecca and I... I'm a dancer, and I used to live in Copenhagen and go to the school where Rasmus works. And uh, then I moved away, and now I'm based in Stockholm. And I uh, host and produce this podcast. And for those of you that don't know this podcast, it's called 5678. And it's about dance training, or it uses dance training as a starting point to talk about dancing as a experience and a field of knowledge from dancers and practitioners' perspectives. I talk with people that work with dance and choreography and through 5678 I document and share these people's perspectives on dancing. And there is 21 episodes that you could listen to at podcast platforms like iTunes and all of this. And uh, you, Rasmus, you have been a guest in this ep- in this podcast before. Yeah. And today it will be a special episode where we have set the theme of bodyliciousness <laughs> and we will start with this word. And um, as I said, both the podcast, but also me in general, I'm interested in emphasizing dancing and training and the work that happens in the studio 
and dancing that is not mainly concerned with making an artwork and putting it on a stage. And I think that dance training is a really special place that prioritizes and demands like physical and sensorial participation. And I want to articulate these experiences of um, being a body and a material that can sense and sensing through moving and dancing. And in this process of wanting to articulate, I got very attached to the Swedish word kroppslighet. And I think it's maybe the same in Danish. Kroppslighet. Mm -hmm. And if you would sort of direct translate that to English, I would say sort of bodyliness, which I didn't think sounded too nice. Or the English translation corporality, which I also don't like the sound of. So then I asked Rasmus, how how should I translate kroppslighet? And you suggested then bodiliciousness, <laughs> which I very much like the sound of, and I like that it contains the word body, and that it suggests something like tasty or delicious, like it has a flesh in the same way that I think kroppslighet does. So where did this word come from? Yes. So, well, just like um, I think uh, what you were saying now, Rebecca, about uh, you know dance that is not uh, necessarily for the for the stage, uh, so the sort of the dance practice and the the focus that the, that your podcasts uh, have had on on training as like towards the studio practice more than the performance production, and uh, I should say that the, like a lot of the my thoughts around this have come from artistic research, like uh, so, which is a, a a physical practice in my case, you know, artistic practice that uh, works with artistic, um, you know, subjects and disciplines, but uh, that don't necessarily work for the stage. Um, so, and in that sort of research practice. Um, there I ended up uh, with that word at one moment together with some uh, some of the MA students if I remember right at the school and uh, um, of course it's a little bit of a pun no? like it's with this uh, reference to the uh, bootylicious uh, Destiny's Child hit uh, but like you say it has also something about the, the deliciousness and sort of the, something like you said, tasty or, or sensorial. Uh, so in that sense, it fit. And, and what happened there, uh, in, I came to that term because we were talking about spaciousness, or I had started thinking about spaciousness and that term, and I was thinking then, how would that translate to body? Because spaciousness is a very... Uh, I, it's a beautiful term. I, I like it. It also it's a kind of an immediate physical experience of space, you know, which in a way is a, a contradiction that we will probably come back to again. This relation between material and immaterial. So a sensation of space in the body. What does that mean? You know, so and the spaciousness there, sort of open sky, empty space, and. Um, uh, 
then I thought about uh, if you can have like a, a bodily sensation of space, then you can maybe have like a special sensation of body, like this reversal, no? like it would go both ways. And then I thought about this, uh, uh, if I start from from body instead of from, from space, and we do this sort of grammatic uh, or syntax play of space, spacious, spaciousness, and then body, bodily, uh, bodiliness, but bodiliness doesn't really exist like a word. I mean, it's not like a dictionary word. And instead it goes from body, bodily, corporeal. And it seems like it just flips there because corporeal is like so, it does, it's almost like space, spacious, spaciousness. It's like it moves away. And the other one is like body, bodily, corporeal. Like it turns back to the body again rather than just takes that next step. And then bodiliness also doesn't have the same ring to it or sense to it for me, like spaciousness does. Doesn't at all have the same effect on me. Um, and also I was thinking like, I mean, it's funny this, uh, when we were doing this uh, language game, it's also like what, what language kind of reveals these kind of grammatic exercises that we have something that is called space and something that's called spacious, but we also have something that's called spatial which is not quite the same as spacious. So bodily, you could also wonder like, okay, is bodily more like spatial rather than spacious? And what is then, it's okay, bodious or, you know, like, a, so that's what, and you know, playing around with these words, we use like, ah, bodiousness, ah, bodiliciousness. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, um, that's where the term came from. In, in the start and I think this had happened and then you asked me that and I was like ah I have something to propose here you know like I had uh, so it, it was something that I had been thinking about uh, before um, yeah so that that was the backdrop of that um, and uh, I mean should I go on a bit more? Because oh, yeah. <laughs> like there is like a, just a little bit of background to those. Like the, it came from two different uh, uh, research projects. The first one was called Movement Material, that was researching. Sort of, uh, it came from a question from a supervisor that I had because I wrote once Movement Material, and this person was not from dance, and for him then material was like that's not Movement Material is a contradiction in terms because movement is not material. And you know, I we use it like a, I'm working on this movement material. Like a, it's like it's sort of um, it's understood in the field that it's something you can say. But then, of course, when he said that, I realized that there was a you know, if you would think this like matter and then the movement of the matter, and then it, the matter, or in this case, like what I just did, this gesture of my arm, then it's like the the arm is the matter, but the movement is not is what's not matter. But at the same time, it doesn't exist if the matter doesn't do it, it materializes it somehow. So then I started thinking about that. And then wanting to sort of, um, how would say, affirm a kind of presence of movement rather than this airy understanding that movement is like, yeah. Uh, but it's like, no, it's like movement is here also. And I thought that the, maybe it's also this sort of modern western dance on stage that understands movement as so ephemeral and i started to think about like modern dance that almost 
tries to look airy in its movement, uh, free and airy. And so it's sort of representing an understanding of movement, but then you have to look at something like, a, like a, what's it called, a crop or something like that. It's like, it's like it's the material of the body is much more present. So then thinking about this sort of, okay, how, how can movement be thought of as material in my body? And then one of the uh, practices we were doing that we called following movement came from um, an idea that uh, you're sensing your movement with your material body. So in that sense, there is also a, a material. So if I start moving, and I thought that we, we had worked on something we called uh, inside touch. So instead of thinking that I'm touching surfaces outside my body, I can think that when I'm moving, I'm touching surfaces inside my body. And this was a way to sort of think about movement as a t uh, to propose kinesthetic sensation, like sensation of movement, as a tactile sensation, which also meant moving away from a visual representation. So to move away my focus from what it looks like when I'm moving to how I sense my movement in my body. Um, so this outside touch was something we said, okay, now the movement is, uh, the touch isn't happening outside the body. It's happening inside the body. But then maybe the sensation of the touch can be uh, sort of extended into space so that the practice doesn't just sort of dwell in itself and disappears here. So that was some kind of reversal that I think maybe laid at the base for the following research that was called utifrån utåt in Swedish. It's a bit difficult to translate, but it's like uh, from outside towards out or outwards, I think I translated it, from outside and outwards. So it was to not say from inside and out or from outside and in, but from outside and out. Um, so there was some kind of this reversal there between place and body or surrounding and body. So maybe there was already something there in this space body. Mm. So what I said before, if I can have a spacious sensation of my body, I can also have a bodily sensation of the space. So somewhere there, this is, uh, what do you call it, like a interface between body and place it dissolves a little bit. So the borders of the body are not so, uh, it's not like the skin is not the surface of the body. I mean, it's a surface, but it's not like that what defines my body. So, um, and then thinking about like, uh, me perceiving this space, I'm perceiving it with my body, but I'm perceiving it as external to my body. But it's kind of like a rendering that the, my body is doing to itself of the space where I am. So all of a sudden, like the space becomes a part of my body because it's my bodily perception that feeds it to me somehow. So then the, the, the body starts to dissolve into space. So I think that those were the questions that laid at the base of this interest in body, spaciousness, bodiliness, deliciousness. Yes, yes. <laughs> a lot there yeah, would, already. Yeah, a lot but I would like to talk about something. I think um, Anna Grip, a teacher, she said something to me that she said something like dance does not exist. There's only dancing or like to dance. And then when you talk about the inside touch, if 
if that is true, what you also said, that there, there's only dancing when it's done, like when it's materialized, but the touching then of the movement, are you thinking that there is a movement in there to touch or that you're touching your own material then in movement? Right. Well, I th- I, that, they, that they are entangled, those two. Yeah. So my the fact that I'm sensing my own movement is because there are surfaces inside me. Uh, so if I don't think about like the visual representation, like if I do this, okay, my, I'm bending my arm, so my hand comes closer to my shoulder. But that's a spatial coordinate. It has nothing to do with how I feel when I move. So if I'm going to tell you to do this movement, I, I, I will use these spatial coordinates and I will use these uh, body parts, words, hand, shoulder, elbow, and all those things. But if I forget about that conceptual side uh, and just feel the movement, uh, that's that touch. In that. So they are, they're happening at the same time, but then it's a question of how I'm focusing or where my attention is in that. Mm. And then I think there is something about like, movement and dancing as well you know if we use those um, like now when i was demonstrating that i would not say that i was dancing Mm. Mm. i wasn't considering it dancing at that moment but i was moving and so the the dancing is not the same thing as the moving i mean we all move all the time we don't necessarily walk around with the experience of dancing then so in that sense i think also the inging like uh, the fact of using it as a verb and not a, a, a noun, not dance, but dancing, uh, is pointing to a, that it's a sort of active process of doing something that enables the dance to happen. Like it's not just a word, but it's like doing it. Mm. So in that sense, there is nothing that is a dance. There is only like dancing. It only happens when you do it. Mm. Which I think is interesting just, I mean, if before I was talking about this grammatical, you know, of going from body, bodily, or bodyus, or this and so on, this, uh, that's also a, a language trick, no? From noun to verb, and that aims at saying, like, okay, it's processual. So you could also say bodying, maybe. Mm. Like, uh, it's also, a, it, this body is bodying, like, because there will be a moment when it doesn't exist anymore. So it's like, a, it's it's a process, it's not a thing. Yeah, and it that came. I think is very like true in relationship to borders and what I perceive as being my body. And in that I relate a lot to bodying, that like, when is your glasses considered part of your body? Like because of a function or more when... More and more. Yeah, more and more. <laughs> or like when is... Uh, my hair a part of my body and when do I cut it off and what is it then and less and less <laughs> less and less <laughs> I think there's two things there's one thing that the, the body the body is a process like it, it wasn't here always it's not always going to be there so the body is bodying and then I think uh, something else is like how I'm experiencing my body where there's like consciousness that is engaging with the body which means that the consciousness is also bodying somehow, like it's it's involved in that material, which I think, so the dancing is like a, I'm involved in this material of dance through the body. Mm. That's how I understand this, when, what 
in what you said from Anna Gilbert, that it's this, uh, it happens when it's happening, it takes place, it's like, it's only happening when it is when it happens. Yeah. I find it uh, sometimes like I use what I said before, like you bending the arm and saying that's not really dance because I wasn't considering it dance. Um, it, that's not to define like what's dance. It's not to say that this cannot be dance, right? But it's like I need to relate to it as dance, for it to be dance, and therefore I need to be dancing. <laughs> So that's where, that's yeah. Yeah, and what is that that's added when you dance and you don't move? Yeah, I think it's like it's not to define it, you know, as a single say dance is this and that, but it's it's uh, it's something that everyone can try out because sometimes it can be a bit like what is dance, you know, and then it becomes a bit like uh, you you know, it's like you're trying to outsmart someone with the. Well, but everything could be dancing, or you know, uh, and you know, we remember like from the postmodern movement and so it's like, yeah, but uh, brushing your teeth can also be dancing, or carrying a mattress can also be dancing. And it's not that it cannot, but it can only be it if someone considers it that. So I can make a choice to try to think about brushing my teeth as dancing, but I also have to be true to myself, like if that's really my experience when I'm doing it. Yeah. Or if it just feels like I'm brushing my teeth. <laughs> and I mean, you use that as an instruction often in your mm-hmm. classes. That, yeah. like, consider it dancing as we yeah. are dancing. Yeah. And then it's your own, like, your own experience of what you are doing. What do I need to add? Or what is this missing for that sensation of mm. dancing? Yeah, and it reveals to yourself maybe what you think dancing is because you notice what you change. Yeah. And usually in dance class, it's like uh, because it's already dance class, so we should be dancing all the time. But a lot of times you're doing some kind of exercise or I'm proposing some kind of improvisational idea and you start doing that and it's maybe more like an exploration than a dance. Like feel your shoulder blades, this and that or something, you know? And then you're doing that, but that doesn't mean that you're dancing. So you can get caught in like the, the research mode or the and forget about the dance part. Yeah. So, but I'm not trying to define what it is. I'm just asking you to consider it that. And often I have the wish to dance. So then it becomes a responsibility mm. on me also. Yeah. That what do I need to do with this research for yeah. it to feel like a dance? But I can say that a very kind of, and this is a, you know, this is a very basic uh, observation, but what happens in the room when I say that, uh, generally, is that things lighten up a bit. Uh, it's less focused, like if there's like this kind of, how we're working with the shoulder blade, this and that, it narrows the focus. And when it's dancing, it's like uh, the, it opens up a little bit, the awareness. So it lightens up a little bit the space. And uh, it seems to be more playful. So there's something about that, which is, of course, like super um, banal definitions of dance. But it's also how we a lot of times use it in in language. Like you say, ah, it went like a dance. It it was like easy and flowy, or you know. Uh, so there there is definitely something there. Something that you also mentioned in this 
thick introduction <laughs> was like the difference between something uh, to relate to dancing as something visual or more as something sensational or an experience of. And I have a very like clear moment in my dance training where I had a shift that uh, I think that I was very busy like creating shapes and I had this like outside uh, gaze on myself a lot and then in school we had a guest teacher called Martin Kilvadi and he like introduced muscle tone as a tool to use in dancing and through that like tension I had a shift from creating shapes to like feeling my flesh which was this very concrete and there was something with this then observer of shapes that came closer and became more deliciousness juice and flesh and dancing yeah, yeah i mean for sure there's like a the 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 visual component of dance like and of course it's still there it's not gone you know even inside those practices like because it's just that vision is a really strong sense of our um, you know understanding of the world we also use it again you know if I'm using language like to see clearly or you know uh, like it's it means some so much for us in how we guide ourselves through space uh, through the visual information and the fact that a lot of times we need to take out the visual input in order to concentrate on anything else because it's so present. So you need to sort of, when you listen closely, you close your eyes or you want to feel something, you close your eyes because it's like as long as the visual input is there, it's like front in your awareness. So there is, there is always that kind of uh, visual tracking, not just in dancing, I mean, and then, of course, next to dancing and sort of the, the repre representational side of being on a stage and showing yourself to people and being seen and imagining what it is that they see. So placing yourself in relation to not yourself, but to how someone sees it from another perspective. So there's that like angle in the space no? and in the theater space with the fourth wall, and, you know all these people sitting there watching like you are doing now in this not like that it's not like people watching all around so how my experience of the space is also in this setting very i'm very aware of where my front is in, in the space not just my physical front but like a front towards something so it's it's present all the time like in physical experience like just like i said i also experience a front and a back because my eyes are on one side if I would have my eyes on the other side, I'd probably consider that as a front. Um, so the whole sort of conceptual experience of space and bodies is in relation to vision. Yeah. So it's just such a strong sense. And also added to that, that both of us are working within a genre mm -hmm. that is like contemporary dance, post-modern dance, mm -hmm. which is a tradition that has been put on stage and relating to an audience mm. and we have mirrors in our studios and yeah. that is very present in our training and what yeah. we do in the studio as well. And I think there's something about that in relation to um, like uh, 
what you said before about dance practice and dance performance, no? Like uh, how much of sort of performance is there sort of um, tied into the practice? So already if I go into a studio and I move around, but I don't have any idea of making anything for anyone, I might uh, quite intuitively choose a front that I, for some reason, then consider the front of the space. Uh, even if, yeah, even if I'm not planning even to making anything for the performance, it's already tied into me doing something that there is one place that it's directed to more than another one. So uh, I think also there, and that comes from a, a, you know, our uh, concert dance, like we said, not like that we perform it in theaters, but if you go a bit outside that genre of dance, which I think we also do when we're dance practicing, you know, if you think about club dancing or something like that, or social dancing, or that doesn't have a front in that way. And, and some of what we do is, I think, deeply informed also by those things, you know, like dancing. I remember, I think it was a quote from Steve Paxton, this American uh, dancer, choreographer, teacher, uh, who said that uh, he felt that he went into dancing as a way to continue his physical exploration that got stopped sometime at eight, nine years old when you had to sit down in school. Like up until then, it was kind of like moving around all the time and figuring things out. But from then on, it was like, sit still, read the book. And so dancing became a way for him to like stay in that kind of exploration of the world uh, that he did before that. And then this uh, performance dancing just becomes a vehicle for that. So I think uh, I sometimes have that feeling too, that a lot of dancers are not so interested in, in, uh, in, in that, that it's just a medium where you can do it. Like you can, you can become a dancer and then you get to do that all the time. And then it's like this by byproduct that you also have to perform in front of people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it comes along, but maybe that's not what you're interested in. Right. That the practice is something else. Yeah, because I almost feel the more interested I get in my own experience and articulate that experience together with others, the harder it is to do things on a stage or to mm. place those things at a stage because I'm not sure about what it communicates to someone only yeah. watching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the example you had of Martin Kilbadi there, I think it's also quite clear, someone who's performing a lot and who, uh, uh, and who is like deeply engaged in movement practice, but not so much in performance anymore. I mean, he still performs, but it's not the focus of the work. Yeah. So, yeah, there's something there about that, uh, like where, w what dancing is for and, and how uh, maybe you can, you know, um, negotiate those two sides with each other somehow. I mean, in a way, it's like something at the school, in the, in the MA program in choreography, we have these two things that we call physical practice and choreographic production, like as kind of main uh, cornerstones or so. And there is that relationship, so on one hand, assuming that they are also two different things, but also wondering how they can function together. Yeah. So what is it then when you're making something for the stage and what relation do you want to build with that in, in, in regards to also physical practice? Yeah. Which doesn't mean that they have to align perfectly. Maybe they are opposing each other. So if you're making choreographic production where you don't move so much, maybe you want to create a physical practice where you move a lot. So 
so that you have a counterpoint instead. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think those things are, they're not like a, it's a pity if they, if they completely fall apart from each other and where you end up like, oh, I don't want to be on stage. I just want to dance for myself, you know, because I think still the stage also does something. And maybe it's that kind of a ritualized, you know, like a, if we think about before theater and fourth wall and so if you think about, like I said, I said, club dancing, but also social dancing or folk dancing or so, that doesn't also doesn't necessarily have an audience. Like the audience is also the participators. Or if you think in certain rituals or so, someone is dancing, someone plays the music, they can swap roles. Someone in the audience or someone not in the audience, but someone external who's not doing anything can go in and join. Or So it's not the, the border is not so set there. So that's splitting up there between like active and passive, supposedly passive audience is, is a, yeah, it's like something really profound. Not like in, when we speak about Western society that happened there. So when we're referring back to our world religions or Greek philosophy or, you know, like it's like something happened there on some kind of profound subject understanding that I think uh, we're still dealing with in the theater format. Mm. I think another shift that I had with these experiences was also when you came to my education, because I was in the middle of my education when you took over as head of dance. And um, that what what I was using to structure my dancing, that I was very busy with composition, for example, or that you could use a narrative or things like this to structure your dance. And when you came and introduced this thought about the material sensations as a source for dancing and um, sort of starting with proposals to train this sensitivity to my material existence. And I don't know if impulses is the right word, but more and more I started to experience how like directions are shooting out of my body all the time and that there is information there to to be danced with. Yeah. Uh, just to respond to that, it's like that part of direction. I remember I was reading a book uh, from an American philosopher who also has a <laughs> background in dancing, partly uh, Maxine Sheets Johnstone. And, uh, and she writes about something that she called the directional aspects of the body. So it's not that there are directions in the space, but there's like direction in the body. Like there are sort of vectors. So if you think about the... Uh, the um, uh, embryological development from conception to like a full-grown person, no? Like all these directions and how, how they unfold to create all these materials. And then you stop growing, but, but the, the, all those directions are there uh, as directional aspects. So if, if my, if my uh, material sort of unfolding into the world would have looked different, I would also be able to move my arm differently. So in that sense, my movement is a kind of extension of those directions that are that grow into space, no? 
uh, and that sort of uh, there was this beautiful um, quote I can't remember now where I found it I think it was uh, it was during this uh, research with the movement material and it was speaking about uh, maybe it was Bergson this French philosopher uh, that matter has a tendency towards spatialization so matter sort of goes into space so then now my bodily matter has like a tendency towards space and that creates all these directions through my body that uh, guide my movement which is really different than to say that we're now going to make a diagonal you know which is a coordination in relation to an external space but not a direction in my body you know? or a front well i'm contradicting myself because in a way i said it's the visual <laughs> my visual that also creates the front so in a way it's also an extension of <laughs> this direction but yes, yeah, so I can. It, they are definitely uh, related. This idea of like the material and the directions in space, mm. and um, one thing uh, in in this uh, from Utot research that I, that sort of launched me, and that was also uh, something I read around camouflage, where it was. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of times we understand camouflage like as a way to hide, you know, like it's for an animal so that they're not seen by the predator. Uh, but this, uh, there was a proposal then that it's not about that, but it's more like a kind of that we mimic our surrounding, like we become our surrounding. And we can think about it sometimes like a, you, uh, you move somewhere and you meet different people and you adapt, no? So you talk more like them or you start to dress more like them so you're sort of mimicking your environment so that to say then that the, the, there was a proposal to understand it like an over identification with your surrounding so that the body like loses its own border and sort of melts into its surrounding huh? and saying that it was not an evolutionary thing but more like a mimetic impulse in the body uh, to, to become outside somehow like an attraction to space or something like this and I think there is also this like when I said these limits of the body and this attraction to space or matter's tendency to spatialize that dissolves the border between body and space um, so I already mentioned the perception that my it's my perceptual apparatus that sort of renders this space back to me I cannot say that this is what this space looks like like if I'm colorblind it looks different or uh, so it's I'm not seeing reality I'm seeing some kind of rendering of reality that I'm producing and uh, so that's one way like the extension between body and space but there was also an example from a, a, a colleague was talking about uh, this relation between uh, the beaver and the dam so you know the beaver that has to, like they they uh, chew the trees right so they fall into the river and then it stops the flow of the river it's because it helps them to catch fish so it creates it like it, it manipulates its surrounding to make it more adventurous for itself so then the question was like okay is then the dam a part of the beaver or a part of uh, the river <laughs> so it's like it it creates its environment for itself and therefore the environment becomes an extension of it 
and I think that's something we're talking a lot about now when we're discussing this idea that we're in the Anthropocene, you know, saying that we're living in man-made world, like the most strong geological effect on our surrounding is us. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, we are always like walking around in the environment that we made for ourselves. It's like we are never in nature. And even like the few times we visit nature, we walk on the path that we made for us to walk on, to look at nature, no? like that's still outside there somehow. And so this relation between the beaver and the dam, like we've taken it to like a <laughs> another level, no? and which maybe has to do with our dexterity and so that we're able to manipulate space so much that some other species don't have. They might be as smart as us, but they can't, uh, you know, move their fingers in the same way. Speaking of, you know, the spatial directions, and <laughs> like what's, what's possible to do with this instead of if I had a fence. But you're also saying that even though we didn't uh, like actually interfere, it would also also be a version of the world that we perceive anyway. Yes, yeah. both of those. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one is like, even if I'm just looking at the space and not doing anything to it, it's already a rent, an extension of my body. But then my engagement with it, and the creation of it. Yeah. And it's interesting, like I, I heard someone saying that the, what, uh, how, how does a beaver understand which trees uh, and the desire to, to chew appears? And it's like it comes in relation to reflection of light in water. So it's not going to start chewing off trees that are not close to water. So it's fed through a visual input as well that gives that sort of engages. And I think we are the same in maybe a little bit more complex ways that we have certain sensitivities, that perceptual sensitivities that guide our actions. I know there's another example of this, of the tick, you know, this uh, little animal that uh, bites in, that it has like a, a few sens sensitivities, like it can it can uh, it can perceive light, so it it goes towards the light. It goes up on a tree, and out on the branch, so that it comes closer to the light. And then it has um, a kind of a, a olfactory, so that it can or either it was heat or it was smell. I don't remember now, so that it can sense that if an animal comes under, and then it knows where to drop. Uh, to jump and then once it lands on the fur it has a tactile sensitivity to find skin like so that it, it feels when it comes to skin and then it knows what to do there no so it's like these three perceptual qualities creates the world for that uh, uh, creature no? and, and it's the same for us just maybe different ones but it's those perceptual qualities that then define our engagements with the surroundings but um, yes, there was I, uh, in relation to that thing about considering it dancing and what that is, um, and maybe also related to this because when we think about like a spacious body, it's also like a it's empty somehow. Like space is 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 uh, lack, not like it's just space. It's empty. So feeling having this spatial sensation in the body is also like a kind of empty body. And and for me, 
uh, and I mean, it's also like, I think one of the first times that I encountered this term spaciousness and why I started to think about it was also because it's used a lot in, in meditation to sort of as a verbal cue to create a certain sensation of the body and to make, I remember also uh, listening to a, a, a yogi that was saying this sort of misunderstanding of why you do yoga. And he said, no, you, you don't, you don't do yoga to practice the body or to train like the, train the body. You do yoga so that you don't feel it when you sit. So that's like that you don't, because if you're not trained and you sit, it's like, oh, it hurts there. Or like you need to, so then you do yoga so that then when you sit, you don't feel your body so that it's not in the way for your mm, awareness. And I think this spaciousness is also like a way to not feel the body. And of course, not feeling the body is also a way to disappear. And you and I, we've talked about that a bit as well. This like to be no one. Yeah. So as that you can, and I think that's related to like trans, like how do you experience your body when you're dancing, that it can be a way almost to disappear. And I, I sort of uh, makes me think of this as Daft Punk song of lose yourself to dance. Yes. And so you lose yourself to dance in this trance side of dancing, no? Where it's not like, it's not, uh, it's not emphasizing the subject of me, you know, or my body, but the sensation of dancing that sort of dissolves all of that. Uh, and I, so that's also, again, this relation between body and space, like a kind of a dissolution of experience of self. And that's something that, that I talked about uh, also, I mean, in, in teaching and so, and and, uh, and about, uh, I talked a lot about it through this exercise that I always was doing, that I picked up from Qigong. Um, because uh, the self, a lot of times, uh, is, is situated kind of up here somewhere. So just like we intuitively point here when you are asking, like, are you talking to me? And like I don't say, are you talking to me? Like I don't touch my knees. Like there's somewhere up here around my chest. Like this is where I am. So this self-center. And then I, we talk about center sometimes in movement, like body, bodily center, which could be, you know, skeletal structure or gravitational point or something like that, which is a different center. So tuning your experience of body with other centers than the me center or the self center is like to identify with your body in a different way than thinking that it's me. And so that this body is a site uh, where experience exists, but it's not mine. Or... And, uh, and there I think uh, I move sort of like from where you also said this, like oh, a physical meaty experience of the body to also feel like the, the something that is not there at all. Yeah. So to counter, you know, once again, this like reversal of roles that I did with body and space. So to, to think that my awareness exists in my body, like my subjectivity is placed inside my body somewhere and I'm experiencing myself from that place. To think that the body exi exists uh, in my awareness. Uh, so it doesn't exist materially, it only exists as an awareness. 
is another way to sort of dissolve it. Uh, so it's not that my mind is in my body, but that my, my body is in my mind. Because the mind is the only thing that is available to me. Uh, and, you know, we have lots of examples of that with like um, people that keep experiencing like a phantom limb, you know, like they lose a limb, but it's still in their mind, it still exists. Yeah. So even if the material doesn't exist anymore, it exists in their bodily experience. So if it's only awareness that makes things available to me, the only way that the body could be available to me is through my consciousness. And then the body is something inside my consciousness rather than the consciousness being something inside my body. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that we've talked a lot about like that doubleness to dance, that how it can be so so material, so much like here and now, this place, my body, and at the same time there can be this disappearance where I'm almost so overwhelmed with sensation that there are certain aspects that I would maybe call my identity that loosens its grip. Mm -hmm. And that is the sensation of disappearing. That might be presence in my bodiliciousness. Mm -hmm. That is also an experience of not being anyone or disappearing. Yeah. I read this uh, book by Jonna Bornemark, who's a Swedish writer, and she writes about experience of being pregnant. And I've not been pregnant, but there are many um, things that she describes that I recognize from dancing. And she talks about this uh, state of losing the stable I or this sense of self and how that's like the possibility of an other order where I can experience that I, I am no one in the world and how it's socializing in the world but i am still like the being are still present i am something but not an identity yeah and i mean in our talks about that it's also like a, uh, the the privilege of have being able to uh, create a situation where you can explore those things, no? Yeah. Because uh, inside of that, like when you said an identity, no? I think that's really, uh, um, and it's, it's, it's a funny word, this subject, you know? Because on one hand, we use it like subject. It's like, I am a subject. I am the one who says I. But at the same time, it's also used like a subjectivation or I'm being subjected to something is more something from the outside who's doing, making me a subject. And I think that that happens a lot. Uh, like you're being subjectified a lot. So the fact of uh, having a chance to not be subjectified and to explore like a, a, the, the, this privilege of losing yourself and not having to confront a subjectivation from your surrounding, you know? yeah. it's, 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 a, it's just a really great position to, to be in, to be able to explore that. And I wish everyone the chance but um, um, yeah I think the immaterial material is like it's definitely and maybe it's also because like we're talking about that through dancing now but I've also talked about it like through this meditational practices and I think it's something 
uh, it's probably just the way it is with everything. And then we are specializing in dance and we're exploring that. But that kind of entanglement or uh, gray zone or what to call it between like what's material and what's immaterial, it's very uh, difficult to understand. Because, uh, and I mean, just, uh, you know, when today when we speak about like a dark matter or like all the things that are not something that seems to be more important. I, and I remember someone said that if we would put like, oh, we all know that an atom is very little mass, right? It's like the, the full thing with the electrons around and so, but if you look at the actual mass inside the size of an atom, it's very little mass. So if we would sort of take space out of the equation, <laughs> like there was no space between anything, no space between an electron and a neutron, or, so all space would be <laughs> gone, uh, like the whole planet would be like a sh sugar cube or something. So uh, there is much more space than anything else. Uh, so that relationship to what we experience as material and not material is only like a, 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 a surface perspective, no? And we know that like the zoom, the you zoom in closer and then it just opens up. So you think you're going to come closer, but you get further away, you know, and that just keeps happening. Like the further you go in, the further you go away or, you know, so just that, like, I think that immaterial immaterial is just like a, it's something that is very mis mystical to us. Uh, and maybe again, returning to like the perceptual capacities that we have, like the perceptual capacities that we have don't quite allow us to understand that relationship between what's material and immaterial. And then we're like struggling. That's something, that's not something. That's space, that's empty. But yeah, but if there wasn't any space, there wouldn't be anything. Because if everything would just be cluttered together, nothing would exist. Like it's the space around it that means that it can be something. So, yeah. And then, you know, we can explore that through dancing or through our, you know, our field of expertise. And other people can explore it through other fields of expertise. So it's not specific, it's not just, problem that is specific to movement but at the same time there's maybe something in that where I started there with the movement and the matter and like that maybe allows for a kind of a, um, specific perspective into that problem or question. We have a third uh, microphone if anyone would like to ask something or share a thought around what we've been saying so far. I haven't really formulated the question yet, <laughs> but it goes back to this uh, vision, non-vision, sensing movement, dance, and I was just wondering because Nana and I, as you know, Rasmus, we work with darkness, complete darkness, and how to use that as a tool for sensing movement rather than creating shapes. So a lot of what you just um, talked about, and I wonder, or we wonder often, like how to, is there a way to untrain this like visual centricness that we have um, in a space that is not darkness where my vision is impaired or removed entirely? And how can I still find the same focus and this like dissolving boundary between body and yeah, or material, non-material, immaterial. Yeah, I just wonder how, how that can happen in a space where vision is still present, 
Whereas, because I feel like we found it in a space where we removed vision and uh, therefore we have access to it. But yeah, I just wonder if if you have found tools for yourself to also find it in spaces where vision is still present or even mm. other gazes, um, not just your own, because that also affects a lot. And then yeah. things like mirrors and so on that we mentioned. Well, I don't know how how you experienced it yourself, but I felt that the, when I've been exploring those things, like they stay with me, but I do need to remind myself of them. Uh, I mean, uh, so the experiences that you have had during your investigations, and then when you come into another kind of space, like how available can those experiences be? No? And for me, it's like they they are they are stored in some way as a physical sensation that I can access, but uh, I need to remind myself about it. Uh, I remember doing this exercise sometimes in in, uh, in 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 class, where you know we're standing still with eyes closed for quite a long time, and I'm just sort of talking through the body, you know. I feel this, feel that, experience this, what about that? So it's all happening once again, like in your mind. No, you're not even moving it. It's just like sensing the body through your awareness. And then, uh, and then, you, so, and it's like you do that for a while and you know, you find yourself deep somewhere inside there. And then it's like, okay, now open your eyes and it's like, gone. Like that, all of that sensation. No? It's like poof, and then just working on like, okay, close your eyes again, find it again. Now see if you can like open your eyes and see if you can stay with that sensation of body. Like it doesn't just become space outside. No? And it's like it's not, it's not, it doesn't come easily, but I, I still think it's possible. And then the next step we do. And we do that, it's like, okay, now open your eyes, close your eyes, open your eyes, do that a few times. And the next thing is now find someone else's eyes. And then it's like, boop, gone again. <laughs> because that immediate like inter like interpersonal communication, oh, there you are, you know? And it's like, oh, where am I then? You know, it's like, where, am, where is my sensation of body now? Because all I see is you. you know? So that's like another... <laughs> step in the awareness of what you're seeing me and you know it's like so it's it's not it's definitely not easy i had an experience with um i was working with this uh, company in belgium ultima Vest, and then there, there was a blind dancer in the first uh, project i or first or second project i did with that site and it was very interesting uh, to uh, to work together with him. He, he didn't have a formal dance training, so that was already something, but then always just like to teach material because we were working mostly with set material. So to teach material only through touch, right? like he would have his hands on me and then he would do something and I would correct with my hands and so on. And then of course also just orienting uh, him in space. So there was a lot of sounds going on all the time where people would hit something or call his name side, 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 so that he would have some kind of reference of where people were and so on. So of course his sensation of, of, of uh, movement was completely different. He wasn't born blind, but uh, uh, so just that uh, uh, how to talk about, uh, I mean, of course there's still like uh, all these things that we say, like hand or shoulder, like I said before, touch your shoulder with your hand, he doesn't need to see for that. But he doesn't know what it looks like. So, 
So uh, yeah, I, it, I think it's possible, but it's like it's hard work because we said like the visual is so, so strong. Shall we wrap it up then? Yes. Do we have any final words? Um, well, thank you for your invitation and uh, um, for the possibility to talk about these things because also always in conversation things happen. So thanks for the invitation. Thank you. So nice to see all of you. Thank you for listening. All right. Oh, oh, oh.